You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. I want to do something as I introduce the message this morning. I want to jump right into a text. And then I'll move into some of the explanation of this month's series. Can we do that together? Look on the screen. I want to give it to you in three different translations. I love the way that sometimes they're expressed. I think they add to the, uh, to, just, to, just to the effectiveness of the series, to the, to the Scripture. Look at verse 3 of Daniel chapter 6. First of all, in the Bible I'm using this morning, the ESV. Then this Daniel became, and I love this word, distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. I thought it might be good for me to define that satrap because I know we're going to be saying that a couple of times and it's a weird word, right? What in the world is a satrap? Basically, it is Sarah Sanders. It's a governor. That's what it is. Just so you'll know, it's somebody in a position of leadership over a province in these days would have been called a satrap, but much like a governor. So he became distinguished above all because, here's why. This is so powerful. He was distinguished above all the others because he had an excellent spirit in him. As a result of that, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The New Living Translation says it like this, that soon Daniel proved himself more capable than all of the administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king then made plans to place him over the entire empire. And I like the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his little translation here. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. There are two other passages in the book of Daniel that describe the excellence that is found in Daniel. One of those passages is in chapter 5 in verse number 12 where it says, because and, here it is again, excellent spirit, excellent knowledge, excellent understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems because these things were found in this Daniel. Daniel 5, chapter 14, two verses later it says, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. We see this word excellence over and over again as we look at the life of Daniel. But I most, I most exceptionally love the words used to describe Daniel from chapter 6 verse 3 and chapter 5 and verse 12 where it says this, an excellent spirit was found in Daniel. Now, most of, most of us have heard about Daniel, right? We would associate Daniel and the what? Lion's den, right. I'm with you. And by the way, in Daniel chapter 6, these words, an excellent spirit was found in him. Those words were said of him in this story of the lion's den. Because Daniel rose above the difficult circumstances because of his excellent spirit. Daniel served with an excellent spirit, and he rose to a position of prominence. So the question might be this morning as we begin, what is an excellent spirit? And how did Daniel obtain and serve with an excellent spirit? We, we might even define this as an excellent attitude or an excellent mindset. And this, my friends, is the theme for the month of March. 
We've been learning and applying our core values of gospel light. We've been looking at a different core value each month. And what's interesting is the 11 core values spell the, uh, the acrostic of that, spells the name of our church, G-O-S-P-E-L-L-I-G-H-T. And so for the month of January, the letter G was God is number one in our lives. For the month of February, we discussed the letter O and the core value that opportunity to grow is always before us. And for the month of March, we'll look at that letter S. Service with excellence is our focus. And the next level statement is the title of my message this morning, Living with Excellence at the Next Level. And what I'd like to do is take the idea of next level living and throughout the month compare it to what Scripture teaches us in the book of Matthew called the second mile principle. It's going above and beyond, doing more than what's expected of us to do. We are always to bring our best. We desire to go the extra mile. Excellence honors God and inspires people. What's interesting is I'm comparing the extra mile to a road sign. For instance, in Hot Springs or in Garland County, they're actually, I asked Carrie, Carrie, is there any road that you can find on the Google map that says something about a mile? And she said, actually, I did. I found 10-mile road. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. There's a 10-mile road in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm not so much concerned about living on that road as I want to live on the extra-mile road. I want to live on second-mile road. Have you ever heard the expression, go the extra mile? It's a great statement. I often say it. I've used it a lot in my lifetime, even raising my kids. Go the extra mile, son. Go the extra mile, sweetheart. Who coined that expression? That expression was coined by Jesus himself. He popularized the phrase in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 when he said, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, I'll take that concept, and I'll, I'll look at that next Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll talk about this, how to be a second-mile Christian in a one-mile world. And I believe we'll see in all of this that God is looking for His people to have excellence. But for now, we all understand that the extra mile means this, to do more than one is required or expected to do. That's what it means, to do more than what you're required to do, to do more than what you're expected to do. In God's kingdom and in God's economy, extra mile living is what sets you apart from others. You know, I believe we have some examples of that even in today's society. One of those such men is a man by the name of Ben Carson. Ben Carson, he has a success story that covers his journey all the way from the impoverished city of Detroit, where he lived in downtown Detroit and raised in a single-parent home and bullied as a child, very insecure as a child. He was, when he was eight years old, his parents were separated, and he grew up in a very, very tough environment. His windows were boarded up, and, and his house was full of insects and roaches and sirens and gangs, and he had some pretty tough conditions, but here's what he had. He had a mama. He had a mama who prayed for him. He had a mama who believed in him. He had a mama who challenged him to read two books every single week. As a result of this, Mr. Ben Carson became distinguished above others because he had an excellent spirit. 
He eventually earned his bachelor's degree uh, in psychology and went on to graduate from medical school at the University of Michigan and took his residency at the famous John Hopkins University after graduating from Yale University. He eventually would become the director of pediatric neurology at John Hopkins and is famously known for the first surgeon to ever, there was conjoined twins and he separated those twins and they both lived and there's a movie that I've watched and I encourage you to watch about the life of Ben Carson called Gifted Hands. But most importantly, he's a Christian. A Christian who has been distinguished as a person with an excellent spirit. And I thought I'd introduce you to Mr. Carson today because he's a real-time example of someone who has this excellent spirit. He put something out that I've uh, known about called Think Big. It's just a a little motivational thing, but it's very powerful. I'm going to show you just a portion of it, and I want to actually close with Mr. Carson as an example as well. So I introduce you to him, and I'll close with him an example of an excellent spirit, real-time. Here it is. It's a powerful, powerful presentation, and you can just tell his spirit Throughout that video, two minutes, I love the way he said, be nice. Just those words, be nice. The way he said them, you can sense an excellent spirit in this man. Well, Daniel had an excellent spirit. And I want to encourage you this morning as we travel down extra mile road to determine to have an excellent spirit. So let's read from Daniel chapter 6. Can I introduce you to the text? It begins in verse 1 for us this morning. And it speaks about Darius, who was the king who set over his kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials. Here it is. Notice in in chapter 6, of whom Daniel was one. To whom these satraps, the governor, the Sarasanders of that time, should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was found in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Obviously, Daniel caught the eye of the king. And he caught the eye of the king because he had an excellent spirit. He had an excellent attitude, an excellent spirit, and it propelled him to go the extra mile, which propelled him to go to the next level. The various translations use words like Daniel was preferred above the presidents. He was proved himself more capable. He distinguished himself among all the administrators. He completely outclassed the others. Sounds like somebody, no doubt, who lived on Second Mile Road. So what was it that caused David to go the extra mile? I wonder what it was. We see it in the text, and we're going to look at it in the text. It was qualities that set him apart. There were qualities that Daniel had that set him apart as a man of excellence. And those are the things this morning that I'm going to ask you to pay attention. Sometimes sermons require a little more attention. It's no way to cover six chapters in Daniel in 30, 35 minutes without having an audience that pays attention and having a speaker who has to kind of skirt around some of the, some of the weeds of the story, the depth of the story, even some of the interesting parts of the story, not preaching a series on Daniel, but trying to preach a sermon on this man who had an excellent spirit of service because he lived on Extra Mile Road. And you know what's exciting? 
You can apply all of these things, these, this excellent spirit to every area of your life. I love that. I want to be an excellent husband. I want to be a man who is, has an excellent spirit when I raise my children. I want to have an excellent spirit as I walk with God in my marriage, in my finances, in my health, in my friendships, in my service for God. So discover with me in the text how an excellent spirit was found in Daniel and how that same excellent spirit can be found in you. I want to give you four qualities of an excellent spirit. And I want to start by looking at Daniel when he was 19 years of age. Now, if I were a teenager sitting in this room right now, and by the way, it's interesting, at the end of the service, I had a teenager walk out and say to me, Pastor, I needed that. And we, we talked for, I think, 10 minutes about the fact that this first point about Daniel as a teenager encouraged her so much. So if you're young today, or maybe you're a college student, pay close attention, because it all started for Daniel when he was a teenager. I loved it this morning as I was... Uh, as I was shaking hands on the way out, honey, I don't know if you remember Harris, who used to, uh, I forgot his last name, but he lived across the street. He had two boys. They came to church this morning. First time I've seen him, and they got baptized in 1996, over 20, almost 20 years ago. And they came to church this morning just to let me know they're both still serving God, still going to church. You remember this, these two boys, Marlene? I think you, well, no, 96, you weren't the secretary back then. That's right. And uh, it, was a great, it was a great encouragement to me to see young people still serving the Lord after having attended Gospel-like Christian school, being baptized in Gospel-like Baptist Church. I'm going to tell you, I believe God is stirring in the hearts of teenagers today, and I want him to stir in the heart of every young person in this room after studying with me today, chapter number one. So first of all, look at it. Daniel was a person of purpose. And here's what I have written next to that. He set a high value on excellence. Quickly, some background to Daniel. Are you ready? He was born in 620 B.C. He lived in Israel in a very tumultuous time. Israel had been captured by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian ruler at that time. Daniel was a teenager at this time. He was deported to Babylon. Uh, Many consider that to be modern-day Iraq. Daniel and his friends were loyal. Who were they loyal to? They were loyal to Yahweh. Even in the land of their captors and in the middle of all the enticements of the king's court. And trust me, these teenagers were enticed. In the middle of all that, they were challenged by secular philosophies. They were challenged by government policies. They were challenged by religious perversions. But Daniel had an excellent spirit. Daniel had an excellent attitude, even in the midst of these tumultuous times he lived in. He's one of the few men, just to give you a little background about Daniel, he's one of the few men in the Bible who are presented unblemished. Doesn't mean they weren't sinners, they were sinners. There's only one perfect, sinless person, that's Jesus. But Daniel, we have no account really, or story in Scripture, account in Scripture, where he, uh, where he was blemished. He's presented as someone who, who, who we know to be someone who had an excellent spirit. He demonstrates something that I think is important for all of us to understand, that you can live a godly life in a godless society. Daniel passed three tests after he faced them. First of all, he passed the influence test. Look, if you would, please, in Daniel chapter 1 on the screen, verse 3. He's a teenager here. He's a teenager. He passed the influence test. The king commanded Aspenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility. 
these were, here it is about Daniel and his friends, they were youths without blemish. They were of good appearance. I love the description of these young people here. They tried to influence Daniel in all of the Babylonian ways, but they obviously failed to change Daniel's faith. Notice he faced an intellectual test and passed. We understand the importance of of books and intellectualism and knowledge after listening to Mr. Carson a moment ago speak. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 4, not only were they youths without blemish and of good appearance, but notice what else they were, church. They were skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. You see, what they were trying to do is teach them the language and thinking through their Babylonian ways, but Daniel had another source of learning, another source of knowledge, and Daniel did not compromise his faith. He passed the intellectual test. Thirdly, he faced an integrity test and passed. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. The next verse talks about the king who assigned a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that the king drank. They were to be educated for three years, these teenagers. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. What we know to be true is that much of what they would have been fed would have gone completely against uh, the, the, the dietary laws, the mosaic dietary laws of that day. But Daniel stuck to his resolve with an excellent attitude. He didn't compromise. He passed the integrity test. Why? Why did he pass that? Don't miss this. Because he was a man of purpose. He knew what he believed. And he knew why he believed it. And when Daniel was placed in a position to go against his values, when Daniel was placed in a position to go against his principles, he stuck to his principles even though it meant risking his life. In fact, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, it says that Daniel resolved. There's that word, resolved. That he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that the king drank. If you were in services a couple of weeks ago, you maybe remember the picture of the ermine that I put on the screen. And I told the story of this white little furry creature who would rather die than to put a blemish on this animal's white fur. The ermine is called a weasel. I even said this in jest, that sometimes it seems as if weasels have more character than some Christians. You see, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And if you're going to have an excellent spirit, you've got to have a willingness to choose right when the environment is all wrong. I want to be a person of purpose this morning who sets a high value on excellence because God is worthy of that. And we only strive to achieve those things in life for which we value. We put extra effort, church, into what we value. Meaning this, that the time to say no to temptation is before it ever comes. You know, sometimes I think we wait for temptation to come and then we kind of roll the dice and just hope at that moment we have enough strength to say no. But God's plan is different. God wants us to have a resolve that comes way before the temptation ever comes. And this is what Daniel did. He purposed in his heart. He made a resolve, and that resolve provided an anchor for him in the time of storm when the temptation came. For me, it was when I was 16 years of age. I remember being at a youth camp 
Fortunately, I got saved when I was 13 years of age, radically, dramatically saved, and out of religion for me. I didn't get saved as some of the men we heard this morning, out of being a heroin addict or being an alcoholic. Mine was worse. It was religion. And I was working my way to heaven when the Lord met me with His grace. And I got saved at age 13, and I started going to these youth camps and I was at Triple S Christian Ranch run by one of the, uh, one of the, let's see, what would, uh, that would be a daughter of Sonia Chittam and Dave Chittam, Lydia Bishop, who's married to Luke Bishop. And that's the camp that I went to. Got great memories there. One day at the end of the sermon, you're not going to believe this, but I made what I thought to be right after I said it, maybe one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. I actually went for it in a, in a really, honestly, I'll I'll admit it, I was a teenager. It was an emotional state. I was wound up. I was so moved by the message that I went forward and committed my life to Christ in a deeper way. You might say, for sake of the message this morning, though it wasn't a message on the second mile, I guess that's what I did. I just decided I'm going the second mile. I want to live with an excellent spirit. And I made this radical statement that, God, I would rather you just take my life I would rather die than to disappoint you, God. I'd rather just die than than to walk away from your calling in my life. I had been called to preach when I was 15 years of age. And I make this radical decision not knowing that one month later it would be tested. There was a girl in our church who I, I kind of liked. I guess that's about back in those days at the kind of church I went to, that's about all you could do is just kind of like somebody. And I guess she kind of liked me too. My mother was a single-parent mom raising two boys all alone, and she was pretty strict. She didn't let us go anywhere, but this guy was a deacon in the church, and, and so mom said, sure, you can go eat at the deacon's house with this girl that you kind of like and make sure to be home right after that. And so I went over to the house, and I remember the meals. Sometimes when events like this happen in your life, you remember the details, right? Roast beef, mashed potatoes, corn, green beans, gravy, and biscuits, Amen. That sounded like a good Arkansas meal. This deacon lived in a little mobile home park right across the street from Magic Springs. And when I was in that little mobile home enjoying that little dinner with that wonderful little family, I thought. And at the end of the meal, <clears throat> had good conversation. But strangely, oddly, and to my surprise, the man said, you know what? My wife and I are somewhat tired and we are just uh, think we're going to go to bed early tonight. You guys just enjoy your conversation. I remember as they headed back to the back bedroom and the door shut, I found myself in this room alone with this girl that I kind of liked. <laughs> My heart began to race, and I knew something wasn't right about the situation. But I thought, well, he's a deacon. Everything should be fine. These are Christian people. And then she invited me to her bedroom. And to make the story a little shorter than I, use, than I make it sometimes at camp and tell some of the more details... But for sake of time and the rest of the message, all I can tell you is this. My heart began to beat faster than it was beating before. I jumped up out of the seat without saying a word. I ran out the back door of this mobile home. Now, I've lived in a mobile home. Maybe you've lived in a mobile home. Mobile homes are like 10 feet up in the air, and they have decks on them. So there was no deck on that back door. When I ran out that back door, in, a, in really in a, in a rage of just nervousness and fear of what might happen if I didn't, I fell off and 10 feet down, 
I tell you, I bruised every bone in my body. I didn't find that out until the next day because I had so much nervous energy. I got in my little 1984 Fiesta with a Razorback on the hood, my first car. I drove as fast as I could to my mama's house. I ran in the house, and mama said, where are you going? I said, to my bedroom, mama, I'll tell you later. I remember falling on my knees and just thanking God for his grace and strength and the ability he gave me to get out of a situation that was not going to lead to something good. Many seem to find it easy to compromise. And we need to dedicate ourselves to God and his plan for us to place a high value on excellence. I can assure you it will not be easy. It will not be popular. You will be misunderstood. But we see that Daniel and his friends at the end of chapter 1 were 10 times better. Look at verse 20 on the screen. It says this, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, the king found them, the most powerful person in that part of the world. The the, the world ruler at that time said, You guys are ten times better than everybody in my kingdom. Wow. Daniel was a man of purpose. Secondly, he was a man of praise. And I have next to that written these words, show your appreciation to God even when the pressure is on. Because I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to show appreciation to God when your back's up against the wall and the pressure is on. And listen, church, today, the day we're living in, there are going, there's going to be pressure on us as believers. If we're going to have an excellent spirit, there's going to be some pressure. The next quality that contributed to Daniel's excellent spirit ended up saving Daniel's life. In Daniel chapter 2, we have an account of King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. Now, what's interesting about the book of Daniel is there's a lot of dreams, all right? And and, then these dreams have stories connected to them. So King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that nobody in the palace could interpret the dream. So what happened was, follow me, The king got angry, like livid, like over-the-top angry because nobody could interpret the dream. So the king freaks out. And the king basically says, because nobody can interpret my dream, I'm going to have all the wise men and necromancers, and I'm going to have them all killed. Just wipe them out. Kill them. Well, Daniel, he heard about this decision, and he discreetly inquired what the reason for the decree was. What is going on? Why is the king freaking out like this and wanting to kill everybody? Look at Daniel chapter 2 verse 14. And Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, watch this, why is the decree of the king so urgent? You know, it's a good practice to seek to understand before being understood. Sometimes we jump to conclusions. Sometimes we react to situations. And in reacting to those situations, we make a bad decision. But what Daniel did was very discreetly, with with wisdom, he approached and said, let me ask a question first. Let me understand the situation. Instead of jumping to conclusions and running or fighting the guard, he simply asked, why? Why is the king doing this? And then he listened. We would do well, church family, to ask more questions and then listen to the answer. 
We oftentimes find there's more wisdom in listening and asking and praying about things. And that's what Daniel did here. And then Daniel went to the king and Daniel asked for some time to interpret the dream. Look at Daniel chapter 2 and verse 16. Daniel went in and he requested the king to appoint him a time. King, give me some time that you'll give me and I'll answer your dream. I'll show you the interpretation. Daniel knew that once he knew what the problem was, he knew someone who could solve the problem. Amen? And that was God. What the wise men of Babylon could not do, the God of heaven could do. Amen. Oh, God is an awesome God. He has all wisdom and all power and all strength. And Daniel had his own dream. And in that dream, God gave him the interpretation to the dream. And Daniel's response to this shows his excellent spirit. And and as a result of getting the interpretation of the dream, Daniel shows his appreciation to God even when the pressure was on. Instead of panicking, he praised. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 23. Daniel's immediate response was this. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. You've given me wisdom. You've given me might. And have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the king's matter. A person with an excellent spirit is a person of praise. He praises God. Praise is one of the highest forms of faith. When we, when we praise God, we are acknowledging something. We're acknowledging that God is the source of our strength. God is the source of our ability. God is the source of our grace. God is the source of our power. God is the source of our wisdom. He is. And your ability and my ability to praise under pressure is what takes us to the next level. It's going the extra mile. Why? Because we have been saved to show forth the praises of our God. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Peter 2, 9 on the screen where it says, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people for my own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a verse. That's who we are. We're to proclaim the excellencies of our great God. In Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, all the time. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Be a person of praise. Be a person of purpose. And thirdly, be a person of possibility. Daniel was. An excellent spirit is a person of possibility. Strive beyond mediocrity and leave your comfort zone behind. So many Christians want to stay in their comfort zone. I'm amazed at how often we battle with this thing of mediocrity, of going halfway. So let me get to my point. King Nebuchadnezzar has another one of these dreams in Daniel chapter 4. Are you with me? Remember I mentioned there's a lot of dreams in Daniel? Here's another one. In Daniel chapter 4, it's a dream about a tall tree that was suddenly cut down. I don't have time to read all the passages here, but I want you to tell, I want to tell you what happened. Daniel interprets the dream, and as a result of interpreting the dream, it does include bad news for the king. It's always tough when you've got bad news. But what's interesting about this interpretation is this, and don't miss it. I want to give it to you in real time. If you can get a hold of this, it's a game changer. It really is. Daniel had to give the bad news, but I want you to see 
how in the midst of the bad news for the king, Daniel saw a possibility for good. The dream was this, that the tall tree was the king. And being brought low was that the king was going to be brought low. It wasn't good news for the king. But Daniel, at the risk of rejection, Daniel, at the risk of personal loss, was willing to tell the king what God gave him. But not just that, he then saw a possibility. Because a person with an excellent spirit is a person of possibility. He stood here in this awkward situation, in this difficult circumstance, in this opposition moment, and he saw hope. And I want you to know, I see hope today in so many. I see hope in these men who following Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I wonder today if our attitudes get so hardened towards this world that we don't see hope. There's hope in Jesus. And if somebody's still breathing and living and walking, there's hope. And this is where I believe oftentimes, you know, people accuse me sometimes. And I don't mean this. I say this just, uh, I want to be careful how this comes across. But someone oftentimes will say, you're so positive. I want you to know I'm trying to be positive in a very negative world. It's easy to be negative. I can, look, if you watch Fox News, CNN, or any other news, is there any positive? It's all negative. And therefore, sometimes I feel as if what we need to see as believers in a very awkward world right now do you see possibility? Can you see hope? Oh, listen, when the king told Daniel about his dream, the dream so disturbed Daniel that he stood in amazement and before he even interpreted the dream. Look at Daniel 4.19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. I thought it was interesting as I cross-referenced the King James on this, it actually gave a time frame. It said one hour. I don't know if it was one hour. It was, in the ESV, it says he was dismayed for a while. But I think one hour is enough for me to put a time to it to say, okay, Daniel sat there for an hour and really thought about all that was at stake. And his thoughts alarmed him. In other words, the king is going to be cut down. I love the king. And can I tell you this? The king actually liked Daniel a lot. He was, he was upset. Daniel thought... Man, I've got to tell the king this bad news. So the king answers and says, Belshazzar, Daniel, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. But Daniel answers and says, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. This tells us something of the compassion that Daniel had for this pagan king. Daniel loved him. He could have pointed his finger at the king and say, You had this coming to you, you low-down, good-for-nothing Baal worshiper. He could have pointed his finger at him and criticized him. He could have got upset with the king. But instead, he saw a possibility. He went on to tell the king that the tree was him. He went on to tell the king that he was going to be cut down. But watch this excellent spirit in action. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, after he told him the bad news, King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. King, maybe, perhaps, you could lengthen your prosperity. Maybe God will show mercy. King, repent. Turn from your sin. Daniel counsels the king to repent of his sins. Daniel counsels the king to show mercy on the poor. What a story. 
Daniel was suggesting that Nebuchadnezzar could be spared God's judgment in this text. He could do it by acknowledging God's part and putting him on the throne. He could use his position to promote godly values instead of pagan values. Do you see what Daniel saw? He saw possibility. He saw hope here. Essentially, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, break off your sins. Love God. Essentially, he said, break off your iniquities. Love man. People with an excellent spirit look for the possibility. Sadly, the king, in his foolish pride, did not repent. And one year later, Nebuchadnezzar came under the judgment of God. Let me add this in this sober moment. Don't ever mistake the long-suffering and patience for God for his forgetfulness. It's as if Nebuchadnezzar said, it's been six months. Nothing's happened yet. You know what? I think I'll get away with this. It was just a dream anyway. Big deal. For one full year, he was given the opportunity to repent and seek God's mercy. Church, it would have been easier for Daniel to forget about delivering the bad news and just stay in his comfort zone and not consider the possibility for change. But that's the mediocre way. You know, sometimes I feel as if we we just take the comfort way, we take the easy way out. Instead of confronting people, hey, parents, confronting our kids. How are we going to see our young people raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hey, spiritual leaders, when we avoid confrontation, when we avoid taking to people what they need to hear and then sharing with them there's hope if they repent, when we avoid that, we're taking the easy way out. We're falling into mediocrity, and mediocrity is never God's will for us as his children. The mediocre way is not the extra mile way. Mediocre literally means halfway up a stony mountain. That's what it literally means. It comes from a Latin word, medio and acris. To be mediocre denotes partial achievement with much left remaining before the summit is reached. Let me illustrate that. In the Swiss Alps, there's some incredible mountains that you climb. And halfway up your climb... On many of these mountains, there's something called, get this, a halfway house. A halfway house. That's what it's called. It's when you get halfway, you're not there yet. And and these halfway houses are really tempting to stop in because they're warm. They have food. The elements of the snow and the cold are not there anymore. You stop climbing. You stop going to the next level. And you settle for the halfway house. They don't see their problems as possibilities. They see their problems and they stop climbing. And then they look out the window at the other climbers as they keep on going up. I don't want to live in a halfway house. I want to go all the way for Jesus. And that takes a person who is committed to the possibility of God doing something great. See the possibility. You say, Pastor, have you looked at the world today? Man, it's in bad shape. I sure have. But have you seen God lately? How he's moving? How he's working? Did you see what just happened this morning with the baptisms? Amen. 
I put my hand together and praise God. Hallelujah. He's on the move. Ah, you're just so positive. Could you just change that word positive to, you just always see the possibility. I'd rather you say that. Because being positive is not always good. I get it. But seeing the possibility, that can be always good. Don't see the problem. See the possibility. Number four, and I'm done. Daniel was a person of prayer. And I have written next to that to this. Stay focused on God as your sufficiency in all things. Daniel is known by others to be a man with an excellent spirit. And we have followed Daniel all the way from Daniel chapter 1 when he was 19 years old, church, to Daniel chapter 6. When are you ready for this? He's 90 years old. And guess what he's still known as? Someone who has an excellent spirit. Now we come to the concluding years of his life. He's 90 years old. He's placed as the number one minister of state under the new king, Darius. He's still distinguished because he's been diligent. He's been detailed. He's been dependable. And when we have an excellent spirit like Daniel, it spills over into every area of our lives. We excel in what we do. Everything we do, we do with all diligence. We strive for excellence at home, at work, at church, in our relationships. But I want to be the bearer of truth this morning. And that is this, that not everyone is going to support someone who has a spirit of excellence. I wish they did. I wish everybody just cheered these folks on, but it just doesn't happen. Because people who are mediocre don't have a problem with other people who are mediocre. But people who are mediocre oftentimes have a problem with people who excel. And that's what happened to Daniel. Daniel was bringing glory to God. And the enemy didn't like it. The people he worked for saw his accomplishments. And the people he worked for started to try to find a way to sabotage him and to destroy his favor with the king. Surely he's hiding something. Surely we can catch him in adultery. Surely we can catch him stealing. Surely we can catch Daniel lying. He's got to be hiding something. Let's find something wrong with him. But in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4, It says the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So his enemies had to go with a second plan. They knew how Daniel was devoted to God. In fact, he was so devoted to God that every day Daniel prayed not just once, not just twice, But every day, Daniel prayed three times. So here's what his jealous co-workers did. His jealous co-workers plotted against him. They convinced King Darius to make up a decree. The decree would say that if you prayed for 30 days to any other god except for Darius, that you would be thrown into the lion's den. We're in Daniel 6. Daniel found out about the plot. Daniel found out about the degree, decree and being a man of excellence that lives on Extra Mile Road. I wonder what he did. We find out Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew what the doc, that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And my favorite part of the verse is the last five words, as he had done previously. I love that. 
He prayed. He continued to pray. Then guess what? His enemies bust in on him, and they say, we caught you. We got you red-handed. You're done for, Daniel. The news reaches the king, who actually likes Daniel, but he was so manipulated by his, his, his people that he was forced to throw Daniel into the lion's den. But really, it wasn't the lion's den. It was Daniel's den because God was in total control. We may not face an actual lion's den, church, but we must remember that Satan is referred to as a roaring lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Church, you may not be in a lion's den, but you may be in the den of pressure. You may be in the den of pain. You may be in the den of persecution. You may be in the den of problems. Let me just say it like this. You won't have to guess when you're in the lion's den. You know it. And Daniel had no idea how it would turn out. But Daniel had already made a decision. Devoured or delivered, I'm at peace. No matter what the outcome, God was going to be trustworthy. Daniel could handle the lion at 90 because he learned to handle temptation at 19. And God shut the mouth of the lions and delivered Daniel. And the secret weapon, the secret weapon of Daniel's next level success was that he was a person of prayer. He was a person of prayer. He was someone who stayed focused on God as the sufficiency in all things. He knew God could be trusted. And there was nothing that was going to take him away from that. He was a man of purpose. He was a man of praise. He was a man of possibility. And he was a man of prayer. Because G. God was number one in Daniel's life. And so let's go back to our modern-day Daniel that we've introduced, Mr. Ben Carson. And let's see what the G standed for. Wow, God. We know how powerful God is. Stick to your values, your principles that you've learned from the Word of God. And together... Let's have excellence that takes us to the next level because we find God is sufficient in all things. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, as we respond and sing together an amazing song, I want to challenge you, church, to think about this. Will you think big? Will you think big and have an excellent spirit this morning? As we enter into this sermon series, as we walk through this extra mile living, would you decide to resolve to be a person of purpose? It takes a resolve, a decision. When the difficulty and pressures are mounting against you, would you determine to have excellence by being a person of praise? If you're ready to quit and walk away and throw in the towel and give up, Settle for mediocrity? Could I challenge you to stop right in your boots and determine to be a person of possibility? Because that's what a person of excellence is. He sees past the problem and he goes to God for the solution. Be a person of possibility. And then in your darkest hour, and we've all had one, haven't we? When you're facing the lion's den, be a person 
of prayer. Because an excellent spirit doesn't just affect our work, it affects our integrity too. It affects every part of our life. Church, we must not settle for mediocrity. We must live on extra mile road because we are children of the living God and are called to rise above the ordinary common life and live with an excellent spirit so that we can be extraordinary for God. The song that we're going to sing, my favorite words in the song are when we get to that little chorus that says, Oh, to be like you. Give all I have to know you. This morning, would you join me in giving all we have to know the God, the God of Daniel, the God of Mr. Carson, the God of gospel light, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe who deserves excellence because he's so excellent. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that we'll be up front. Brother Butch, one of our elders and myself, will be here. We'd love to have a word of prayer with you or to pray with you. If you are a young person this morning and God moved on your heart, as we talked about Daniel as a teenager, and you want a purpose in your heart, teenager, would you come and meet me at this altar? Spend some time in prayer. Resolve to be a teenager of purpose. And if you're an adult, and you've been through some rugged times, and you're living in a tumultuous situation, would you decide this morning to choose an excellent spirit? And if that means coming to the altar and spending time in prayer, I invite you to join us. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for the word. Thank you for the powerful testimony of Daniel and Scripture and for the sufficiency that he found in you in everything, God. Father, may we today, Lord, be men and women of excellence because you truly, God, have given us what we need to be that. Lord, we can find all of it in you. And because of this scandal of grace, and because you died in our place, Father, may our soul long to know you more and to be more like you, God. I love you. And I pray, God, that you'd move in this time of response on our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together as a church?